ultimately the people closest to Putin, those who have to deal with him, those who he's keeping at the end of 40-foot tables while he <laughs> issues bizarre orders, they're the ones who need to act. They need to act for the good of Russia. They need to stop him. Whether or not this has turned into some kind of physical or mental uh, problems that uh, he either had or has in some way uh, come down with, we don't know. But his behavior is dangerous, and it's dangerous to the future of Russia. So my hope is that the people who are watching him, those who get close enough to see in person his behavior, which is so erratic, that they can try to prevent him from doing things that will not only be tragic uh, for Ukraine, but tragic for Russia too. This should be stopped for Russia's sake. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it Welcome everybody back to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I'm sorry I left you for nine days high and dry, no new episodes. But if you follow me on Twitter or any social media, you already know what I've been up to. Um, I'll get into that. I'll give you a little recap of, of my past week. Uh, but before I do that, oh my God, Hillary Clinton. This follows up on the the uh, the back of the fruitcake, Lindsey Graham who also said that Putin needs to be taken out. Take him out. Take him out. Um, <laughs> sorry, I can't not do a Southern Bell impersonation when I do Instagram. Take him out. Take him out back and bait him. Um, <laughs> seriously, that's what he sounds like. Uh, yeah. Look, we are so awash in war propaganda and we're not in war. I I fear for how it might be if we enter a hot war with Russia because the propaganda is so over the top right now. I mean, it just listen to Hillary in that clip, right? She says, you know, whether he's come down with some sort of psychological or physical, you know, the the whole if you remember last summer, that was the propaganda push then. Ah, Putin's going to be dead in weeks. He's uh He's knocking on, on death's doorstep. And yeah, that didn't happen, did it? No, didn't. Uh, and if you watch any of his speeches recently, which I know they're very hard to come by, and I'm not going to play them for you because they're in Russian and it wouldn't be good for a podcast. Uh, but if you hear him speak through the translation, he's he makes good points and he doesn't seem like he's much different than I remember him from a year ago or five years ago for that matter, or 10. So I don't think that the guy's crazy and I don't think that he's, you know, I mean, he's dangerous in the sense that he's waging a war, but I don't think he's, he's so irrational and so dangerous that he's, he can just do anything at any moment. I think he, what he's doing is actually very rational, unfortunately. And I think that the, the rational uh, decision-making tree that he's utilized to, to come to the conclusion that invasion was necessary was predicated largely on American uh, involvement in his back door. Or his backyard, rather. His back door. Lindsey Graham's very excited. Uh, it's tragic. You know, I am i don't say any of this to, you know, downplay what's happening. It's just, it's just the truth. The U.S. government has been involved over there for a very, very long time. And if 
there's I mean there's so many different threads here that I could I could pull on to to paint a picture. I've already done it. You could go watch. By the way, I got my YouTube back. Can you freaking believe it? Won't be able to post there for another couple of weeks because they keep at me with two week suspensions every time they you know appeal something uh, or give me back my channel, but then I have to pay a two week holding period. Like I don't know why. So you'll be able to check me out there soon. But my content is back up over there. So if you're on YouTube right now, you can go watch it. And uh, it is called The War They Wanted. That gives you a very good breakdown of much of the history. Some of the history that I didn't cover because I was trying to stick uh, strictly to things I could prove uh, with video and you know writing and quotes from U.S. politicians. Um, there are some other interesting little tidbits that you might want to be aware of or, or dig into yourself. Uh, take it with a grain of salt. I'm doing this all off the the you know top of my head with just memory of things that I've read. Uh, but it, it does appear that what happened in I think it was 2008 like Obama's first year, um, they passed, I forget the name of the bill, but essentially it was so that the U.S. government would take over the old Soviet uh, biolabs there and dismantle any old bioweapons that the USSR had been working on. Well, what it, what it looks like to me, this is my assessment, I can't prove it, it looks like to me is that we got into those labs and we said, why should we destroy all this? I mean, this Russia's, you know, our number one enemy or whatever. Uh, let's just hold on to these things. Let's see what we can do with these labs and with whatever's inside them, including the documentation. And it looks to me as if they didn't really destroy them back then, but rather added them to their arsenal of bioweapons facilities that they possess all over the world including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which today the Department of Energy came out with a countering opinion to all of the other uh, government agencies from a year plus ago, year and a half ago, where they said that uh, the lab leak theory was impossible. Well, check this out. They now disagree. Um, also, the the Lancet, the Lancet, uh, article that was issued i believe it was march maybe sometime early to mid uh, 2020 there was an article in the lancet that was written by a whole bunch of prestigious scientists and doctors uh, that said the lab leak theory was bunk and that it was dangerous conspiracy theorizing and it was nonsense and blah 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 turns out now that we know peter dazak was actually the the top of that pyramid when it came to crafting that letter and getting it pushed out. So Peter Daszak also was uh, put in charge of the WHO's, the World Health Organization's investigation into the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Oh, here's a tidbit that you may not know that makes this really, really crazy. Peter Daszak was also the head of EcoHealth Alliance. The same EcoHealth Alliance, unfortunately, that was receiving the grants through NIH approved by Anthony Fauci to do gain-of-function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, this is all top of my head, so you can fact-check me, but I'm pretty sure I just got all that right. So you have the guy who is doing 
the gain of function research in the Wuhan Institute of Virology is put in charge of the investigation into what the hell happened over in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then he's also the lead penman when it comes to dismissing the potential or possibility that it was a lab leak from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the very same lab for which his company was funding the, the research. Oof. Oof, folks. Big oof. <laughs> I mean, if you don't laugh, you go crazy. That is so wild. And I, and as far as I can tell, it is all 100% true. 100% true. This guy, Peter Daszak, was at the top of this thing throughout, including the cover-up. And EcoHealth, NIH, if you understand the, the backdrop of the, the uh, biomedical research funding mechanisms that happen in America, very, very t deeply tied into the DOD, Department of Defense. So you have to then, in my opinion, wonder aloud whether or not the Department of Defense was in fact managing this entire operation. I think they were. So I'll just say it. They were. That's what I think. I think that they were working on gain-of-function research in China through cutouts because in 2014, they made it illegal under Obama uh, early, early 2010s. I don't know if it's 2014. Early 2010s. They made it illegal. The gain-of-function research are like, what are we doing? This is crazy. They forbid it. Definition gets changed on what gain-of-function research uh, entails. And then, all of a sudden, a year later or so, uh, Fauci is once again back in business using this cutout through EcoHealth and Peter Daszak to basically circumvent U.S. law and proceed with gain-of-function research nonetheless. And then, that very man who he entrusted with this extraordinarily dangerous research that was banned just a few years prior, he's put in charge of investigating the lab leak theory and then also just completely dismissing it in the establishment medical profession eyes. Bothered yet? <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm real bothered by that. And I'm more bothered than anything that there aren't serious investigations that are happening into this right now, that there aren't calls for trials. Like we have enough information at this point that an investigator with subpoena power and everything else should be able to dig into this thing and really like connect whatever other necessary dots to prove the case that I've just laid out. Because what I think happened was illegal. And I think what happened was uh, a whole lot of people died. A whole, whole lot of people died because of the U.S. government. That's my belief. So I listened to this, uh, this Spaces on Twitter today with Dr. Drew and a whole bunch of these like super high-level doctors, uh, including one of the Chinese doctors that was involved in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, but it, there were like 10 doctors. They were all just sitting around for three hours on Twitter talking about this uh, Department of Education. 
Department of Energy uh, disclosure today that they believe that it, the leak theory is correct. And and what bothered me about it, is, including Tom Fitton was in there, and what bothers me about it is that there is this almost refusal by everybody involved in there, except except for like one or two of them, to consider for a second that perhaps it wasn't the CCP. And it's fascinating because as they're talking about it, they're describing the level four bio weapons lab, which is what the Wuhan Institute of Virology is, and how extraordinarily hard and rare it is for anything to leak from a building such as, such as that. And they're all just saying, look, the leak, unlikely. Even though you've you've already read elsewhere that oh this this facility had uh, you know bad protocols and it had leaks in its past, maybe it's all true. According to these scientists, they say that it's very unlikely that this was an accidental leak. They say it's like less than one percent chance. So, leads me to believe. Well, it did come from there. Because there, there has been no connection to the pangolin or any of this other, the Wuhan uh, wet market. None of that shit has panned out. They haven't been able to prove any zoonotic origin, which means it comes from animals, uh, to leap into humans. They haven't found any of that. So you have to start to think, okay, well, then if, it, if it's very unlikely that it leaked accidentally, then it was intentional. So this research is happening in the Wuhan Institute of Virology funded through a whole cutout workaround from Fauci and our government and likely our Department of Defense. They're doing this research over in Wuhan. It's leaked in Wuhan originally. And we can't say, okay, yeah, maybe maybe this was actually intentional. Like, are, are we still, like how many years we got to wait before we start to like, really consider that or is this going to be a jfk thing where like we all just kind of go like yeah cia fbi whoever some government organization was involved in his assassination but we're never going to have evidence of it we got to wait 80 years or whatever until everybody's dead before we can actually like tell the american people that and we just accept it and we move on i don't want it to go that route in fact i refuse because i think that if we don't if we don't find some mechanism to punish the people that were involved in this process there is absolutely zero chance that they stop in fact they haven't stopped they continue to do so to this day and i'll i'll talk about that a little bit later in more detail but gain of function research is still happening folks and if you didn't enjoy the covid lockdowns and hysteria or the sickness itself or the death of relatives of yours well you should probably do everything in your power to make sure that, that that type of research is is put to an end and it's an interesting topic because you know i think that gain of function research could could deliver incredible medical breakthroughs and all sorts of things um just as mrna technology theoretically could provide a lot of medical breakthroughs and advances in human health but so far it hasn't what it has delivered us, by my assessment, is a lot of pain and suffering and loss of liberty across the globe. So until they can get a handle on actually 
punishing people when they fuck up while doing this type of research. I don't want them doing it at all. And I think that it should be banned worldwide until they actually have a mechanism to not, not regulate. Like, you know, I'm not a regulation guy. I think regulations don't work. I don't think prohibition really works, but I think you should have laws to punish people that do it so that if they do something like this, and they create, oh, I don't know, COVID-19 and they destroy the world for a couple of years, that they should like serve the harshest punishment imaginable. I'll just say that so I stay on the good side of the law. Harshest punishment you can think of. Whatever that is. That. Uh, man, these people got to pay a price. I've said it. I've been saying it for a long time. I've been saying it almost for a year now. Probably a year. And... These doctors are sitting around like pontificating about like, well, if we were to research this in depth and we were to find out that the origin was in fact from the lab and it was a, a, an accidental leak or even an intentional leak, like what value is that to medical health of the, of the global population moving forward? It's like, bitch, are you out of your mind? You don't see the benefit? You don't see the benefit to finding out? One, if this was man-made. Two, if it was intentional. And if it was both of those things, well then, you should have documentation unless it was destroyed, which it probably was. But if it wasn't, well then that would give you the base model of what COVID-19 was before it evolved into the Omega, Alpha, Epsilon, Omicron, yada, yada, yada. And that would help you a lot. And figuring out like, okay, this is what this thing looked like at its root. We can now, uh, I mean, I know they've been trying to create vaccines for it and it hasn't really worked out so hot, uh, but theoretically it, it could help you in that pursuit. Um, but more importantly, it can help you know who the hell needs to go to jail forever, right? Wouldn't you like to know that? Like, and, and also, if you can then figure out who needs to go to jail forever, who issued these sons of bitches the, the orders to do it? And why? Why? Because if it is intentional, there's a reason that they did it. And no one wants to talk about that. There are very few people want to talk about that. And I don't blame you because it's scary as hell. But it's important we ask it. So... If we can't find out if it was intentional, well, then we'll never get to asking what was the in intended use. We'll never get there. So we have to know that so that then we can deal with that question. So let's think about it. Why? Why would they do it intentionally? Well, Agenda 2030 certainly lines up nicely with all of this. Uh, Overpopulation, anthropogenic global warming, the fear of climate change and the carbon crisis, all of that lines up nicely. You depopulate. You also have lockdowns, which uh, decreases carbon emissions. You don't, you don't let people drive to their work because they are working from home. I mean, if you put yourself in their foots, in their, in their shoes, rather, in their foots, if you put yourself in their shoes, you start to like just mull this thing around you go okay well yeah i can see some reasons why you might oh also we want social credit scores don't we well wouldn't it be nice to know like who will probably acquiesce to our demands and who won't 
well, let's base that off of our medical health pass. Better yet, let's base it off of who is and isn't vaccinated. That would be useful information, wouldn't it? So now you have these 50 million obstinate sons of bitches in America that refuse. Well, they're up on top of our list of people that we need to specially train to, on how to get in line. Me, you, everyone listening right now. Yeah, us. Uh, so, yeah, I think that there's a lot of reasons that they might have done it. And then if you don't want to go the nefarious route, you could just say accidental leak. And then they did all of the same things I'm describing right now anyways. Kind of like the same same thought experiment when it comes to 9-11. Okay, maybe they weren't involved in it. But boy, did they capitalize it and capitalize on it and do every single thing that they had been wanting to do for a decade, including documents that they had written years prior. Interesting, right? It's interesting how these things that are anomalous, black swan events, but they always have a whole game plan laid out on how they're going to use that moment of crisis. And coincidentally, the same tools and conclusions that they come up with are almost always, you need to be less free. You got to be less free, Clint. It's the only way. It's the only way that we can deal with this war on terror. It's the only way that we can deal with this war on COVID. It's the only way we can deal with this war on carbon. Right? Every single time. Call me crazy. Tell me I'm wrong. Say I'm connecting dots that aren't there. Oh, those dots are there. You can say I'm connecting them improperly. I'm open to that. I'm not even sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. But it's important that we think about this stuff. It's important that we have an open dialogue so that we understand what we're facing. It's important we don't censor people that are asking these questions. In fact, I caught a week suspension in August of 2020 because that was when the early reporting was coming out about the lab leak theory. If you've been putting your life on autopilot for too long, you know what you're going to get? A garbage consequences. Terrible outcomes. You can't do that any longer. There's one thing we learned from the past three years. It's that you got to get involved. You got to make your voice heard. And there's one easy way that you can do that. It's time to take charge of your healthcare decisions. We all know that the system isn't working, but thanks to CrowdHealth, we can do something about it. CrowdHealth puts your healthcare back in your hands, cuts out the middleman, saves money, and funds your healthcare costs without relying on big government or big insurance companies. You can see any doctor you want, no deductibles, exclusions, or co-pays. You only pay the first $500 of any healthcare event. The CrowdHealth community takes care of the rest. No exclusive doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles, and no surprises. The way it works, well, you pay one low monthly total to fund your account. Your monthly subscription helps fund healthcare costs of the entire CrowdHealth community. And unlike insurance, there are no doctor networks, so you can see any doctor you want. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Take charge of your healthcare today with CrowdHealth. And for a limited time, join for just $99 per month for your first six months when you use promo code LOCKDOWN at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com. Promo code LOCKDOWN. 
CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. And I said, I think this is the most probable. All the way back then, two and a half years ago, that's what I thought. I said, man, that seems like the most logical answer. Wait, wait, wait. There's a lab miles away from the origin of the spread of this virus that focuses on bat-borne coronavirus? And I'm not supposed to think maybe that's where it came from? And I was being kind. I said, it seems like a leak, an accident. And they were like, conspiracy theorist, prison, shut him up. Turns out I was almost certainly right. And that's the best version of it. The worst version of it is that it was there and it was intentional. And the reason that I go the intentional route, the reason is because the cover-up was aggressive and it came early. And that tells me that they knew they were doing something terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. Now you could say, maybe it's just that they there was this ban of gain-of-function research and you know, they realized that it had leaked accidentally and they had to cover it up because, well, they had broken the law, but only in that way. I'm not so sure. I'm not. Because the way that Fauci continued to ride with Dazak in tandem, like these guys were like tied at the hip, emailing back and forth and shit. And they're, they're working on this Lancet article early on and it comes out and they're just like, no. Didn't come from this lab at all. Not a leak, not intentional, not from the lab. You're crazy. Why did they say that so definitively when it turns out it was fucking completely false? They called us crazy. They censored us for pointing out the obvious answer. They said the obvious answer is insane. They gaslit you. They gaslit the entire world. And you know what's even more evil about it? Is because they did that, you then had all of this investigation happening to go and figure out the zoonotic origin and all of the types of uh, medicines and remedies that might be best used for a zoonotic origin. But it wasn't zoonotic. It didn't come from animals. Well, I mean, it did. But it came from fucking bats in your lab where you had been studying coronaviruses in this lab with bats Four years. Wouldn't that have been valuable in creating the vaccine? Well, it looks like it fucking was, actually. Because the information that we now have is that there was some patents that were filed that seem, seem to reflect that Moderna, Pfizer, and some of these boys may have had a little tip-off on the framework of the virus itself so that they could be first to the market with these vaccines. Which, by the way, these types of vaccines, the whole reason for gain-of-function research, as dangerous as it is, this is the whole argument behind why you ought to do it, especially when you're in increasing the function, which is usually either about lethality or transmission to, to human beings, is that then, if you know how it's going to transition into humans, then you can create a vaccine preemptively. And it looks like they kind of did, but they got it wrong. We think, like, once again, I'm being as nice as possible. They got it wrong. The virus somehow 
evolved and it was it was too late. So the framework for the vaccine that they had, which by the way, was rolled out faster than any vaccine has ever rolled out ever, 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 ever. Well, in our lifetimes, for sure. Uh, because of Operation Warp Speed with Captain Orange Man. And yet still, still the virus evolved too quickly for that uh, vaccine to work very effectively. All interesting, right? It's all interesting stuff that no one talks about. And they don't talk about it because if you do it on YouTube, you're gone. And if you do it on TV, you're persona non grata. At best, you might get a little conversation about this here or there, a spattering from Tucker Carlson. I I didn't talk about this stuff very much on my show because I couldn't do it and keep my channels. And I knew that. So like when I would do it, I would put it over on Odyssey. I would try and find any way to still deliver you guys as much truth as I possibly could without losing my voice. Losing my reach to you guys. So we have to talk about this stuff. We have to. The evidence is all around us. It's getting clearer and clearer by the day. And I feel like a year from now, maybe two, it'll probably be just kind of like a given. Yes. It was done with our funding in this lab. And that's it. But we'll be in World War Three by then. So no one will care. But simultaneously, they'll still be doing gain-of-function research with extraordinarily dangerous, probably more dangerous viruses. And there'll, there'll be no protocols in place and no criminal laws to pro, uh, prosecute these people. No political will to go after them either. Unless us, we, the people, demand it. And that is what I, what I am encouraging you guys to do, is demand it. Demand that there be a price paid for this absolute lunacy. Because it was indeed lunacy. Let me tell you about my trip. So, where, how did we start out? Oh, God. It was so much fun. So, I fly to D.C. And there is this uh, Rage Against War rally. Ron Paul's there. Daniel McAdams. So many people. Reed Coverdale, the, my brother. Um, Scott Horton, list goes on and on. Kim Iverson, Jimmy Dore, great. And we get there, pretty. It's a sunny day, but it's very cold. I'm from Miami, so I forget that it's winter. Um, that's I'm just giving I'm just giving you the the settings here. And there is a uh, a big stage set up. It's uh in front of the Lincoln Memorial. There's like ten or twelve speakers that are supposed to speak at the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, Ron Paul, did I mention that? Yeah, Ron Paul. Um, I got a photo with him for the first time. I've met him three times, but I had never, uh, I'm like the type that really doesn't like to put people out. So it actually took Reed just like kicking me in the butt and be like, yo, get your picture right now. And we turn around and I shit you not the Washington monument, the entire strip of water and the Washington monument is right behind my shoulder. And it's the guy who should have been president, me and the Washington monument in alignment coolest photo of my life probably going to get it framed i don't care how gay that makes me i love it i love the photo thank you reed for encouraging me to do that so we watched the the speeches i thought there was at least three thousand people there um some estimates say it's four or five i have no idea there's a lot of people there and 
from most of the the organizers and some of the hardcore anti-war folks that have been doing protests like this for years and having no turnout uh they they all said uniformly this is the biggest turnout for any anti-war march we've had since 2006 so 17 years the biggest anti-war turnout in 17 years glorious so beautiful and yes there's some marxists and yes there's some communists there and for the most part they're nice people um wouldn't trust them but they're nice people and we have some great conversations it's contentious but but respectful and it's just a beautiful thing it's just an absolutely beautiful moment to like i said this during my speech so after, uh, let me just give you the, the full story and then I'll tell you kind of how I feel about it. The speeches end. There's this, everybody in the crowd just starts to march. And we march past the water and hook a left and we go straight to the front of the White House. And we all get there and there's still, still a couple thousand people. I don't know exactly how many that are all just lined up in front of the White House in big circles and stuff like that. And they have a speaking thing set up and there's just a massive circle of people so they call me up and I hop in there and I give a, you know, three or four minute, I think it was three minutes uh, speech because that's what they allotted me. But it was a very special moment for me. I've never, I've never spoken to a crowd like that um, in a moment like that in front of the White House. Like it was very, it was very powerful. And after listening to this tripartisan, quadpartisan, uh, you know, speaker lineup of just really powerful arguments for peace, which I think is the most beautiful thing you can argue for and it just it just struck me that like all of the things i had been planning to say i no longer wanted to and i just went in there i i had written two uh variants of my speech because i i didn't know you know what other speakers before me would say and i didn't want to be redundant so i was like very very prepared with either speech but i was planning to read it Cause I thought I was going to like be up on a stage and have a, you know, I, it wasn't that I was just in a crowd of people, lots and lots of people. And I was like, I want to speak from the heart. So that's what I did. And I just told them, you know, I really felt like after COVID in particular, this nation was just utterly divided upon itself and like brother versus brother, mother versus son, grand grandmother versus grandchild. I mean, it was just horrific what they did to us in terms of division. And it's horrific what we allowed to happen to that we would play into that sick divide, but we did. So I just, I conveyed that and I conveyed that, you know, the, this was the first time in basically three years that I had felt a sense of unity with my fellow American. And maybe it's just those people there and maybe it's just shared purpose that did that. I don't know. Um, but it was beautiful. Like I was, I was struck by it. I was struck by the beauty of it and particularly with that cause, you know, the cause being one of preventing nuclear war and preventing world war three, which this was the other like takeaway I had over the past couple of weeks. No, one's really talking about this stuff. Not no one, but very, very few people are talking about what that is. Like the millions of deaths, if not more, if it goes nuclear. 
but just say it say by some miracle of god it stays conventional you're still talking just catastrophic loss of human life and that's just on the battlefield and then you have the economic collapse that and calamity that comes with it and the the starvation we have to avoid that folks we have to and i feel like when people talk about this stuff there's a real performative aspect to it like i try not to do that i try not to be a performative speaker i try and speak from my heart all the time because i feel this stuff deeply so i don't really need to be performative it's like no i'm really thinking about it <laughs> like and i think i feel like most of you guys are too so i'm not trying to like dismiss or make my emotions more sincere than yours i'm just saying like when i see a lot of people talk about it it does seem a little performative and particularly like the stand with ukraine people highly performative like these these folks i i don't even I, I can't even like really wrap my head around how they've been so psychologically manipulated into just being like yeah sure it's worth risking nuclear war to decide who rules over the eastern part of a country that i didn't care about a year and a half ago right isn't that strange as fuck i sure think so and I don't think that people are like really thinking about it because like, even though I oppose us intervention in Ukraine, I still think about the catastrophe that's happening in Ukraine right now and how hideous it is and how devastating it is for the people that live there, the innocent people, not the soldiers. I mean, the soldiers I feel bad for too, uh, especially if they were drafted, but if they enlisted, it's like, Hey, that's what you signed up for homie. Um, but yeah, man, it's uh, war is just ugly as hell war is hell you've heard that one before it really is and I, I i've never been in war but i've talked to enough soldiers to know it's hell and and just like just being a human being like i don't want to see that level of suffering anywhere on the world much less multiple fronts against nuclear armed powers definitely don't want to see that so i guess the only reason i brought that up is i just wanted to like say hey, maybe it's time to talk about this with the level of gravity it deserves. Don't allow people to dismiss your concerns and make you sound like, ah, that'll never happen, or oh, you're just being zany. Like, no, we're not. We're not being crazy at all. They have been driving towards this point for 15 years plus, if you just include NATO expansion, but really sincerely they've been try, uh, driving towards it since 2014 as we all know Maidan revolution so like come on like they they wanted this to occur it's now happening and every single day the president of the united states says we will stand with ukraine until forever regardless regardless of anything as if they could do no wrong like, do you stand with anyone to that level? Like, maybe family? Maybe your best friend? But, like, for me, there's always something someone could do that I'd be like, oh, look, I got to keep you at arm's distance, even if you're a relative of mine. Like, so, with Ukraine, though, no, 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 no. They're, we're going to stand with those motherfuckers no matter what they do. No matter what. And I'm like, okay. I, I'm hearing you. You seem serious. So if he's serious, 
shouldn't we be serious? I'd say absolutely we should be. We should be very serious and steadfast as all get out that this has to end, that we cannot allow this to proceed. It is dire consequences on a scale that we have not seen ever, ever in human history. Yeah, it's that big. It's that big. There are more people alive today and there are more powerful nuclear weapons than even existed 40 years ago during the heart of the Cold War. So that means that the dire nature of the, the war, if it were to unfold, is actually even more breathtakingly horrific if it were to happen today. We got to come together on this. And this is why I was willing to march with Marxists and communists. And I don't want to lecture to you guys too hard because I'm sure most of you were fully on, you know, on board and understood my perspective or why I might do such a thing. Cause normally I wouldn't like to march with people like that, but look, first off single issue coalitions, you should march with whoever agrees with you, right? Cause it's a single issue coalition. You're basically just, you're saying, I don't agree with these people on anything other than this thing that I'm marching for today. And I mean, is there like in a triage type of analysis, is there anything that you should be more concerned about than the imminent threat of World War III between not, not one, not two, three nuclear powers? plus other NATO members that have nukes. So like you could include more nuclear powers if you want. If you just include Russia and the US, that's the vast majority of all the nuclear weapons that exist on earth, like over seven or 8,000, something like that. That's, that, that'll, that alone, that alone should be enough to galvanize us and say, look, I'll march with fucking Hitler himself if it helps, if it helps stop this thing. And that's how I felt. And that's why I went. I really didn't want to go. I, f I still feel like, you know, protesting is like, ah, whatever. But there are some things that are just so big. It's like, man, yeah, you got to do something. And if that's all I can do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And if it's only 4,000 people, fuck it. It's a start. Like, let's let the let's let the world know. Let's let the American people know. There are people in this country that see what's happening. And they aren't down with it. Not one bit. So let me just say huge kudos to everybody that showed up, whether you're a libertarian or anything else. Kudos, man. Beautiful. We need more people like you. We need more people that are willing to get up and go out and just do it anyways. Because believe it or not, there is some sort of butterfly effect that happens through the media sphere. Um, you know, I was on Tim pool four days after that, got to talk about it a little bit. Uh, you know, there was clips that were played on CNN and Fox news and all over the place from that protest. And it's like, yeah, that's the name of the game. We got to get this to be a topic that is cycling. That's percolating. And we got to give the other people that feel the same way that I do to feel a little bit of hope, to feel a little bit of encouragement to go like, all right, we're going to do this again in six months. And we need it to be four times as big as it was last time. And then we're going to do it again four months after that. And we need it to be a double or a triple again from there.
then you're talking 30,000 people, 40,000 people, right? That's what we need. We got to have something big. We got to really put our foot down and say, yeah, no, thank you. Not doing it. All right. I'll get off my high horse. Let's just transition into Timcast. Um, I got food poisoning on Monday and I was absolutely demolished. like <laughs> demolished for three whole days right up until Timcast. And uh, I'm, I'm going on Timcast with Josie, the, the redhead libertarian. Uh, she and I meet up over there and yeah, we get there Thursday, rolling there Thursday night and two hours, two hours before I go on Timcast IRL, I get an email from uh, YouTube saying, boom, we've looked at your appeal. Your channel's back. You didn't violate any rules or well, for one of them, they still kept two strikes on me. Boo. Um, but I get my channel back two hours before I go on the biggest live stream that exists on YouTube. Interesting, right? Just a coincidence. Couldn't have, couldn't have played a part at all on the fact that I was about to go talk to, you know, half a million of their <laughs> uh, devout viewers. Oops. So smart by them though, because I didn't go on there and just rip into YouTube for two hours. Very smart by them. Mm, I almost wish they hadn't. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm appreciative to be back. So go on there. Have a great time. Um, I feel like this was the first time. Uh, Josie crushed it, by the way. I rewatched it yesterday, and I was just so floored by how eloquent she is. And um, yeah, she just killed it. I feel like I could have done a lot better, but I'm also a harsh judge of myself. So you guys can let me know what you think. If I did did a good job or not, I hope hope you guys all checked it out. Um, it's always a very special moment for me. Every time I get to do a big platform like that, it just feels like I'm really reaching a lot of people here. Like I gotta I gotta hit some hit my marks, you know. And I never I, like I've talked to Dave about this before. Like he'll oftentimes have two or three things that he really wants to get across when he's on a big platform. And I probably ought to do that, but I don't do that. I just go in there and I go like I'm gonna have opportunities, and I just need to like. I need to identify and then I need to capitalize. And I just I just ad lib. I just do it on, you know, on gut. And there was a few. There was a few good rants that I was allowed to go on. Didn't feel like I got the flow that I should have, but I don't know. Hopefully it happens again in the future and I get to really crush it next time. Uh, but the the cool part about it was this was the first time I felt, because this is my third time on now, first time I felt like Tim and I really hit it off. Like he really... He was seeing me for the first time, you know, he was, he was actually like considering me as a person. It felt like, <laughs> you know, like, like he was actually really uh, interested in who I was and what I was about and what I was talking about and what I was doing. And we spent a long time after the show talking uh, for like an hour, just, just he and I, and we had never done that before. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He's a real, he's a real authentic guy. I, it, it bugs the hell out of me that, that he's hated by so many. Um, and I'm not just saying that because he's now being nice to me. I'm saying like every time I've talked to him, like he's always come across the same way. Dude really cares. Dude really sees a lot of the same stuff I do has some solutions that I don't agree with, but you know, anyone that, that is sincere in this moment, like those are the people I value. Tim strikes me that way. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my read for now. He, he strikes me as a very sincere guy, very driven guy, extraordinarily focused, crazy hardworking. Um, so yeah, he and I, he and I talked about some, uh, some future 
ideas and options and things like that. And stay tuned for that. We'll see if it if it comes to fruition. But I was excited. It seems like uh, some very fruitful things. Anyways, I got some more stories to cover. Let's get into it. This is our final ad run for the great rag proper. Best flask I have ever used or owned. This thing is phenomenal. And uh, this is your last chance. This is your last chance, unless they re-up, which if you buy a bunch of them, they'll re-up, which will help the show, which will then get you more shows, which you love. So if you need a flask, you should go get one right now. They have break-resistant glass, easy pour window, awesome lids, and a smooth pour funnel. These things rock. They're really, really cool, and they're not that expensive. Great gifts for Father's Day, great gifts for a birthday, great gifts for yourself, great gifts for your wife if she's depressed and alcoholic. Great gifts for uh, any alcoholic in your life. Great gifts for someone who just likes to drink on the weekends. Great gifts for guys that like to go and, uh, you know, on Sundays tailgate at uh, football games, even though the football season's over, so that was probably a bad reference. Just great gifts, great items to own, regardless, anytime you want to get drunk properly. Rag properly. <laughs> go to ragproper.com and use promo code CR10 for 10% off. This is the last chance you can do it. Rag proper. That's R A G P R O P E R dot com. And boom, get them flas boy. C R 10 for 10% off. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Steve Kirsch's latest Substack. Uh, there's a lot of charts in it. So instead of re and it's very, very long, so I'm not going to give you all of it. I'm just going to read uh, some of the like summary and things like that. The uh, executive summary, I should say. And the title of it is game over. So you can look up Steve Kirsch on Substack, that's K-I-R-S-C-H, and Game Over is the title. Um, Isn't it a shame that none of the world's governments make the vaccination death records publicly available? My claim is that if they did that, it would end the debate instantly and prove to the world that the vaccines are unsafe. So that's why they keep it locked up. By the way, the reason I'm doing this, uh, this is me talking, not the article, is because I'm going to be back on YouTube soon and I want to cover all this stuff while I still can. Thank you, Rebel. Uh, Continuing on, but apparently there is one whistleblower who is interested in data transparency. Last night, I got a USB drive in my mailbox with the Medicare data that links deaths and vaccination dates. Finally, this is the data that nobody wants to talk or even ask about. I was able to authenticate the data by matching it with records I already had. And the analysis that I did on the data I received matches up with other analyses I have received previously. The nice thing about this Medicare data is that nobody can claim that it is unreliable. Medicare is the unassailable gold standard database. It's the database that the CDC never wants us to see for some reason. They never even mention it. They pretend it doesn't exist. So you know it is important. Do you want to know what it shows? I do, Steve. Please tell us. Shows that these shots increase your risk of dying. And once you get shot... Uh, your risk of dying remains elevated for an unknown amount of time. And that's in the very population it is supposed to help the most, the elderly. Now you know why the CDC, which has always had access to the Medicare records, has never made them publicly available for anyone to analyze to prove that the vaccines are safe. Because the records show the opposite. That's why they keep the data hidden from view, and it's why they never talk about it. Today in this article, you will find... Uh, finally get to see what nobody outside the HHS, that's Health and Human Services, has ever seen before. The gold standard Medicare records, i.e. the truth. You can analyze it yourself. Uh, you'll soon, soon see for yourself why the CDC will never release this data and why the mainstream press is never, ever going to ask to see the data because it would reveal they lied to people and killed over half a million Americans by recommending they take an unsafe vaccine. The bottom line is this. When there is no data transparency, there is a high chance that the government is lying to you. 
After all, if the data supported their narrative, they'd be tripping all over themselves to release the data. When it doesn't support the narrative, they simply never talk about it and pretend it doesn't exist. And tell the press never to ask about it. So you already know how this is going to end very badly. For Biden, the CDC, the FDA, the mainstream medical community, the mainstream press, and Congress, they all will have egg on their face because they never asked to see the data. The misinformation spreaders will have been proven right with the government's own gold standard database. It's payback time. Goes on to prove, or I don't know if it's prove, but uh, there's lots of charts that show that even when you take into account seasonality, it, it appears that uh, mortality is up. <laughs> it's up for the, the vaccinated versus the non. And that is not what you're supposed to see, but you do. So just wanted you guys to be aware. I just wanted you guys to be aware. I, uh, you know, I've been studying this, studying it. I've been reading about this stuff for three years now. Not the vaccines, two years, I guess. Um, and I, you know, I've been very hesitant to come to a conclusion uh, because more than anything, I don't want to believe it. You know, like I, I want it to be, you know, at least a net neutral, like where it saved some people, it killed others. That's That sucks, obviously, but at least like it wasn't a total loss, but it doesn't look that way. It looks as if this thing didn't stop transmission and it didn't really reduce lethality and in fact is causing more people to die unnecessarily. And as you know, I have a relative that's been suffering with what I believe are consequences of it. And I take it very personally and I don't want to conclude anything or, you know, make him or anybody else that's been injured by this thing feel bad. You know, it, it breaks my heart. So I just want you guys to be aware that there are, you know, it does seem like there's some pretty damn good evidence that all of us crazies have been pretty spot on and that they mandated and threaten your livelihood with a vaccine that isn't helping you, but is in fact hurting you, which is the worst possible outcome on all fronts. They took away your liberty to allegedly help your health and they hurt you. They hurt your health. <laughs> so they hurt you financially, psychologically, culturally, civilizationally, economically, and physically. Holy shit. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm real concerned. I'm real concerned about all that. And it's wild to me that more people aren't outraged. Like, like I got out to go protest World War III. Y'all want to go protest this? I'm in. I am in. Like, this also needs to, uh, there needs to be some catalyst to get fucking Congress to do anything about it. Now, many of the people that are responsible are still in Congress because the American people are out of their fucking minds and they vote these scumbags back in all the time. But for the new people that are in there, the America First, the Freedom Caucus, whatever, whoever we can reach that can actually get to the bottom of this thing. Rand Paul, Thomas Massey, Gates, MTG, whoever, whoever is team, I want to fucking find out the truth here and make sure that they remove liability protection from the companies that were involved and then prosecute the regulatory agencies that looked at the data and greenlit this bullshit and then imprison everybody. That's my opinion. Before we talk more Ukraine, let's get into something funny. 
We'll try and make this light. Let's see if we can. What are white people superior at? <laughs> exactly white people superior at. They're real good at violence. Violence. Genocide. It's like stealing people's lives just because they feel like it. If you are white and you know this is happening and you say nothing, then you're a killer too. What exactly are white people superior at? Insecurity, pretending, fear, being fearful of nothing, being ignorant, blame, letting their egos control their every move, superior at being dicks. What exactly are white people superior at? Oppression, gaslighting, lack of empathy, intellectualizing oppression. Did I say oppression? <laughs> what exactly are white people superior at? Taking what's not there, taking shit, taking our ideas, copycatting, gentrification, appropriating things that do not belong to them, taking over other people's cultures and making you believe that they invented it. Maybe they're thinking of it as repurposing. It's like recycle and repurpose. As my grandma was saying, the white folk, they'll take it if you don't copyright. They are very good at destruction of land, destruction of people, destruction of humanness. Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're conservative, like white people are really good at upholding white supremacy. How about claiming that, you know, they are actually a whole separate race when actually white DNA comes from the black female. So what exactly are white people superior? Honey, lying, stealing and cheating. Manipulation. Withholding information. Lying, telling lies. <sighs> ouch <laughs> that hurt um watch watch let's flip it um hey clint what are black people better at uh rapping sports being cool uh dressing uh dancing um running uh pretty much any athletic endeavor if i'm being honest football obviously basketball Holy shit, so much better. Played played a lot. Never been as good as them. Like, there's so many, like, positives. You can't give up with one for us? You can't give me one? Like, I'm good at accounting? Anything? Give me one? Damn, dude. Look, I know a lot of black people that don't feel this way. And I'm not going to just pretend as if this compilation video means that this is how black people feel about white people. I think that there are obviously some black people that feel this way about white people. And I think there are obviously some white people that feel terrible sentiment towards black people. I think that I hope I should say, I think and hope that the majority of black and white people and every other race don't look at the other races with such uh, just unbelievably negative perspective. I sure, I sure hope. And you know, it's, I guess the, the reason I wanted to play it for you guys is other than the fact that it went super viral and I just thought it was interesting uh, is because this is like, this is the natural outcome of identitarian, uh, not just politics, but identitarian worldviews, you know, where it's like, I am my skin color. I am my gender. I don't feel any of that. Like, yes, I am a white man. Yes, I am. I'm a straight white man. Okay. But beyond that, like, I don't take any pride in it. It's just like it is. And I don't think that it, I certainly don't take any guilt in it either. It's just, it is. And I feel pretty similarly in how I view others. I don't take any judgment into those interactions, or at least I try not to. Now, if you're dressed in a certain way that may imply, like, hoodlumishness gang type stuff be like all right yeah like maybe i'll 
be a little bit more nervous. <laughs> you know, like just being honest. I know we're not supposed to be honest when we talk about race. We're not supposed to be honest, but like that would also apply if I was like in a rough neighborhood and I saw a white dude who's dressed like a gangbanger. I'd be like, ooh, or a Mexican dude. Same thing. Or an Asian dude. Like I've I fought. I told you I told this story before where I bought fought all those Vietnamese crips. <laughs> That's a true story. Um so yeah, there's like there's gangs of all races too. So like that's not even a racial thing. And it's funny because because I said gangs when I'm talking about black people, a lot of people will connect the dot and be like, ah, racist. It's like it's not though. It's like there's gangs of all colors. I've seen them. I fought some of them. And I just I just want to encourage people not to go down this path, man. Just don't do it. It's so regressive. It doesn't get us closer to any future that I want to be a part of. And I'm seeing more and more of these videos that are dedicated towards like, like look at these black savages as they beat up some, you know, tiny white girl or tiny white boy or something. And then I see videos like this and it's like, man. And then you also see the, the cop videos where they're like, they oh look at all these white cops beat this black guy. Oh, the white people are evil or the cops are evil. It's like, I don't know if it's a concerted effort, but it definitely is doing a lot to divide us. It's doing a lot to divide us. And at, at my core, as I've told you guys many times, I love people. I love people. And I don't want to, I don't want to hold hate in my heart based off of anything that I don't know about you already. Like, if I meet you and you're a bad person, I might decide that I hate you. Like, that's also possible. But upon meeting someone, I don't want to ever conclude, oh, I hate or I fear this person. I don't want to feel that way. I feel like most people don't want to feel that way. Why would we want to feel that way? It makes relationships. It makes dating. It makes business. It makes everything so much more challenging. Not to mention it also... It closes your mind off to potential relationships and business opportunities and maybe you, your wife, mother of your children, because you you had this preconceived conceived notion of what someone might be because of how they look or sound or whatever. Just turn back. Just turn back. You know, I disagreed with Martin Luther King when it came to his uh, his economics politically, but man, did he nail it when it came to like, I have a dream. One day, our children, regardless of appearance, will be playing with one another, and they will know no. They will know no hate, and it just seems like all of this focus on race relations has only divided us. I don't feel it. I, I like honestly, I don't think it has progressed us at all. It has made so many white people hate themselves, like deeply hate themselves. I'm not one of them. I'm not going to hate myself. But when I see it in the white people, like, yes, it breaks my heart, but also it makes me hate them. It makes me hate them that they're like, that they have decided to become self hating for no reason. And I would feel the same way for any black person, too. It's like, man, sad. Sad. Why? Damn, dude. Sorry, I thought this was going to be light. I wanted to keep it light. But it's like, 
just not it's just a dark topic and i don't know how we i don't know like aside from ending the indoctrination into identitarianism that's happening in academia like i don't know how we break free of that i don't know how we like get back to a point of like yes there are differences between us but let's make fun of them let's make fun of those differences let's let's laugh together about our differences let's have black comics that do the nerdy white guy do 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 just had to go to work um off to work bob you know all those fucking corny ass hack jokes that they made about white people back in the day i like that era a lot better i did i liked it a lot better and white comics making fun about black communities too let's go back to that let's let's laugh with one another so we don't hate one another let's come together let's come together in our differences as opposed to dividing each other based on them. I'll leave it at that. Let's check out Joe Biden's speech at the Atlantic Council in 1997. Talked about they don't want this NATO expansion. They know it's not in their security interests and on and on. And said, well, and if you do that, we may have to look to China. Oh, oh. <laughs> Joe Biden, 1997, talking about if NATO expands, he's, he's referencing the Russians talking. If NATO expands, we may have to turn towards China. He's threatening. That's what the Russians were threatening him with back then. Let's hear what Joe has to say in, in response. And I couldn't help using the colloquial expression from my state by saying to Zaganov, lots of luck in your senior year. Um, you know, uh, good luck. And if, not, if that doesn't work, try Iran. Uh, talked about they don't. I don't know why that's funny. Um, but yeah, just the, the main reason I wanted to play that is like this lie, this outright lie that unprovoked we couldn't have known couldn't have known that expanding nato up to russia's border could create some sort of consequence exactly like this even the current president the current one 25 years ago knew exactly that because the russians were saying exactly that do you need more evidence do you need more fucking evidence that these people knew exactly what the red line was for the Russians, and they pushed them up to it anyways. They did. Now, not to say that the Russians were justified in invading, but to pretend as if it was unprovoked. They say this line over and over again. Unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. Unprovoked. It was provoked. Just be honest about it. You can still say, yeah, there was some provocation, but look, they didn't have to go down this path. Just be fucking honest, but they can't do that. They can't do that, and they never will do it. So we have to. We have to set the record straight. It was provoked. You can still oppose the invasion. I do too. But it was provoked. Let's be honest. If lies can get us into war, maybe a little bit of truth can keep us out of one. Huh? Let's try it. Jihadi here on David Sachs. He is a the former CEO of PayPal, COO of PayPal, uh, one of the found the founding CEO, I believe, and now a venture capitalist, um, talking a lot about the Ukraine situation. It's about five minutes, so I'll break it down as we go. But it's it's worth listening to. Trump's instinctual resistance to what the deep state wants, and he actually said it this week. He gave a um, a two minute televised statement that was all over Twitter, where he basically made the argument that listen, the reason why we're in this war is because of the military-industrial complex and the foreign policy establishment. They basically courted this conflict, and they are 
working at odds with the interests of the American people. It's actually a fairly radical critique. I don't think a major presidential candidate has run against the military industrial complex the way that he is now positioning himself. And let me tell you this, you know, I've said it before, he's not my preferred candidate. The, the crazy thing yeah. is it sounded a lot like what we'll be talking on this podcast, which is he talked about all these generals that retire. Victoria from, Newland. He, he mentioned Victoria, Victoria Newland by name. By name, by name. He 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 really did. Wait, put explain to the audience this because I didn't okay. see this because I'm, I'm on a different time zone and it, it must okay. have broken when I was uh, asleep or skiing. Well, it's a two minute video in which he, I, like I said, he attacked the military industrial complex and the foreign policy establishment for creating this yep. war. And he mentioned Victoria yep. Newland by name. Let me tell you something. Newland is going to be. It's going to be a very popular message. When yes, put out it's, it's very popular. Newland is the Fauci of this situation. Okay, the same way that mm -hmm. Fauci was supposed to be protecting us <laughs> from viruses, and then funded gain of, gain of function research. Victoria <sighs> Newland. Now we got a label. Let me tell we you just something. Got Victoria COVID nineteen Newland, misinformation. Victoria Newland was supposed to be our chief diplomat with respect to Russia. In Eastern Europe. And what did she do instead? She ginned up this conflict. How? Ginned up. <laughs> we backed an insurrection in Ukraine in 2014. Jason, if you didn't like the insurrection of January 6th, let me tell you, you aren't going to like the insurrection that she staged in Ukraine because they brought okay. in these Ukrainian far right nationalists as the muscle. She was the State Department official who was responsible for backing this insurrection of a democratically elected leader in Ukraine in 2014 named Yanukovych, okay? Yanukovych was trying to, was doing a, a balancing act between Ukrainian nationalists and Russia, and it was a very delicate balancing act, and we basically toppled him. And ever since then, the relations with the Russians over Ukraine have been headed south. If you're wondering why Putin seized Crimea, it was in direct retaliation for the coup that we backed in Ukraine in 2014. This is the origin of the conflict, and you know, if you want to understand where this comes from, you have to go back to this. And the fact that Trump's willing to talk about it is pretty incredible. So we'll stop there and pick it up in a second. But um, yeah, I think he nails it. I mean, is that <laughs> is that not exactly true? Uh, shout out to Kenneko the Great, by the way. He is uh, we're mutuals on Twitter, and he's awesome. And uh, 4.6 million views on that video alone. Uh, Elon Musk even replied to it. So I just want to thank him for spreading the word about this, you know, getting the truth out about the 2014 Maidan revolution and uh, or slash coup and U.S. involvement. And most importantly, the the name that should be household at this point is Victoria Newland, who you have heard me rail against repeatedly for quite some time now. Not a fan of hers, which, by the way, her husband is Robert Kagan, one of the architects of neoconservatism or uh, not architect, uh, Scion. He's one of the biggest neoconservatives out there. So that is a, uh, a power couple from the depths of hell. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> I think that's a fair way to put it. Um, yeah, but, uh, and also huge, huge credit to David Sachs for being willing to, you know, say this because <laughs> it's not a popular thing to say right now. And, you might be risking your life by saying it, but good for you, buddy. Let's keep going. But Biden has really painted himself into a corner here because before the war, he refused to take NATO expansion off the table. He refused to recognize the Russian interest in Crimea. And we gave no support to the Minsk Accords, which would have given some limited autonomy to the Russian speakers in the Donbass area. If we had just done those three things, there would have been no war. Biden refused to do that. He refuses to take Perhaps. NATO expansion 
off the table even today. So he has nothing to compromise with. He is dug in. And the problem we have now is that it's a loose, loose scenario. If the Ukrainians keep doing poorly, because right now it looks like they're on the back foot, what is the United States going to do? We're going to let them lose this war? Or are we going to keep giving them more aid and step in? It looks to me like Biden now has invested his whole presidency in this, and he can't just let them lose, which means more escalation from us. Huge mistake. And on the Russian side, if the Russians lose, then they have an incentive to use nuclear weapons to rescue the situation. So it seems to me that both scenarios here are really bad, and we don't really have a good way out of this. We're looking for some sort of magical Goldilocks scenario where the Russians sort of lose, but not enough to use nukes. You know, the administration has not given us a clear picture of what victory looks like here that's actually reasonably achievable in a reasonable time frame at a reasonable cost. But Europe isn't going to buy Putin's oil anytime soon, right? They're now going to buy... No, but he's able to sell it to China and he's able to sell it to India and the rest of the world. There was actually an article in today's New York Times about how the West may be unified about Ukraine, but the rest of the world is not. The article was saying something that critics of the war said for a while, which is we actually don't have the whole world with us at all. The BRICS countries are not with us. The emerging world, the whole Southern Hemisphere basically is not with us. They would like the U.S. to play a more constructive role in finding a peace deal, not like you said, Jason, saber rattling or escalating. So the rest of the world is not happy with us. And this is why the Russian sanctions have not been effective. I think the Russian economies had like a three to 4% hit. It is not the collapse that was predicted because there are enough other countries willing to do business with them. Yeah, and that's including with the destruction of the Nord Stream pipeline, which was almost certainly <laughs> directed by the Biden administration. So it's not working out basically in any ways that they had, you know, hoped. Let's uh, let's wrap it up. We better be real careful in how we handle China because you had Blinken on all the Sunday shows, basically denouncing them, expressing outrage Oof. that they might support the Russians, acting shocked, shocked that they could do that. We don't even have the ability anymore to understand that other countries do things in their own interest. And we can't accept that. And instead, we act as if foreign policy should be conducted according to this morality play that we've created. And if you don't do what we think is right, then we're going to express all this outrage and condemnation at you. And somehow that's going to get you to violate your own interests. That's Let me just add real quick that the, the prior point he made uh, about how so much of the rest of the world is not actually in lockstep with us on this. Uh, what I think you're seeing, and this is a, a, a bigger topic, maybe I'll go into further depth in another episode, but um, what I think you're seeing is that our, our the U.S. government's, uh, U.S. military and CIA's uh, continuous undermining of democratic decision-making in the entire world, as he said, most of the global South, uh, aka Latin America and others, uh, are are not rocking with us on this, and they do not view Russia as their enemy. They view, perhaps rightly, that America is more of a threat to them because their governments have been repeatedly toppled or interfered with, or they've had their governments installed by the U.S. And you have, and even if it wasn't your country, it was the three neighboring countries to you that all experienced the same thing, and you're looking at that going like, I don't trust these people. Should they? No, <laughs> they shouldn't. There's this incredible ability to uh, just, I don't know, believe that like 
these people don't have rational brains that they can't look at all of the death and destruction and the manipulation of their uh, geopolitical sphere that has come from the West, but mo most specifically uh, America and say to themselves, look, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this unipolar world order. It's worked out. It's worked out great for you guys, but it hasn't worked out so hot for us. I mean, that's how they're looking at it. And I don't think they're wrong to look at it that way. So what are they saying to themselves? Well, Russia is not our friends either, but wouldn't we prefer that there be two or three polar orders as opposed to this unipolar one? I think that's what we're witnessing. We're witnessing the real divide here. And if there were to be a world war, it would be basically the U.S. and its allies, which are very, very powerful. I'm not downplaying that at all versus a lot of not very powerful countries and some very, very powerful ones like China and Russia. And what you're witnessing is the alignment, as China has has now threatened uh, a few times, to supply aid and military equipment to Russia in this fight. And if that happens, the lines are drawn in concrete. Concrete. If they If they start to send munitions to Russia, then China has now chosen its dog in the fight. And once again, there's this uh, unbelievable ability not to see the rational decision-making that's occurring from our, not, not even enemies per se, but like adversaries or, you know, challengers for the throne <laughs> that they're like, why would they do that? A lot of people would say like, oh, but you know, Russia's losing so badly. Why would China do it? Well, that's because you've been lied to. Because it, because Russia is not losing so badly, and they're picking the dog in the fight, and they're saying, "I want to pick a winner," and the winner in this that looks like it's going to defeat U.S. global hegemony is going to be Russia, and if we back them, it almost ensures it. I'm just speaking from the uh, Chinese or the CCP perspective, and they're probably right. So, like, do we want this? Do we want to take it to this point where? I mean, yeah, I would kind of like there to be a bipolar world order, if I'm being honest. But do you want to take it to the point of this conflict escalating to a point that there has to be decisions made where China, who also has 300 nuclear weapons and a billion and a half people, and Russia, who has 5,000 nuclear weapons or four, they align with one another? Because if they do... Don't get it twisted. There will be some other very powerful countries that you may think are allies that say to themselves, I'm going to pick that dog. I'm going to rock with the new big dog on the block. And they might be right. They might be right. Don't dismiss that possibility. That's not the way the world works. And what we're doing right no, now, what we're not. doing right now is pushing China and Russia together into a new Axis block. This is very foolish, very foolish. Even during the Cold War, okay, we worked to keep Russia and China apart. And, and the, whatever you think of those regimes today, they were much worse back then. Remember, the Soviets, you had a Stalinist regime. The Chinese had Mao. Those were two of the three biggest mass murderers of the 20th century. And Nixon and Kissinger still went to China and shook Mao's hand and toasted him because it was important to keep China and the Soviet Union divided. And what are we doing today? We are basically pushing them together with all of this condemnation and outrage. It is not a smart strategy. Can't disagree. We need to be building bridges with India. That's a key, key relationship.
and China. I don't know why we're not figuring out what You're we have right in common. India. This is poisoning our relationship with India. India is the biggest democracy in the world. And our relations with them have gone south since this war because they have a friendship with Russia that goes back I mean, back I would rather way. see Biden go to India and start building some bridges there. Yeah, I agree. So there you have it. I, I just wanted you guys to hear. I'm not the only one saying it. There are some other people out there that, that feel the same way uh, probably you and I do, that, uh, that this path makes no fucking sense, man. It makes no sense. And we're risking so much for so little return. And, you know, this is why I've concluded that the only logical explanation as to why they would make such a dangerous gamble is that they perceive it as the U.S. dollar's reserve currency status being jeopardized. And if that isn't maintained, well, then our budget deficit and our debt levels become very problematic, like crippling bankruptcy problematic or hyperinflation problematic. And that is, in my opinion, why they're willing to risk World War III to defend the dollar's reserve currency status. That's my thesis. Take it for what it's worth. But I think you guys have been with me long enough to know I get a lot of this stuff right. I get a lot of it right. And that's my read. So I don't care about the dollar's reserve currency status enough to have nuclear war or even a conventional World War III. I don't. I don't. We need to learn to live within our means and we need to learn how to live peacefully with the rest of the world. And if the dollar's reserve currency status has to die for us to do that, I'm okay with it. We need to, like, yes, it's a bitter pill, but we've got to get through that transitionary period without ending all life on Earth. Can we do that? Let's try and do that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Clint Russell, Liberty Lockdown. If you'd like to pick up a Liberty Lockdown shirt, go to toplobster.com. Oh, uh, I didn't even get into the posobic insanity my life has been so crazy all right so posobic i i i it, this offhanded comment <laughs> so stupid this offhanded comment i'm just demonstrating like as an example of conservatives that are decent not good but decent on the russia crisis but are pretty bad if not horrifically bad on the china conflict taiwan in particular <clears throat> And I, on Tim Pool, I say, uh, you know, Posobiec comes to mind. That's literally all I say. And apparently this dude watches the show every night. So by the time I'm off or like, actually we were doing the post show and Tim says it like at the very end of the post show, which is behind the paywall. He's like, oh dude, Posobiec is very upset with you. And I was like, what? Why? Like, I didn't, I had, I honestly had forgotten. I even brought up his name. Like, that's how, in passing, how unplanned this thing was. I just, it was just an example, because I wanted to point out, like, I could have said anybody. I could have said Nikki Haley, or, you know, Pompeo, probably. I don't even know if he's good on Russia, but, like, there's a lot, there's a lot of Republicans that, like, are pretty good on the Russia situation, but they're terrible in China. That's all, I'm right. That's true. And Pasovic's one of them. And I'm also right, and that's true. So Posobiec just starts digging into me about how I'm uh, Fat Fred Durst or something like that. He called me Lard Biscuit, which was funny. That was genuinely funny. Good one, Poso. Um, and I respond back with, 
something to the effect of, uh, man, the way you dropped those nukes so quick, you'd think I live in Beijing, which was clever. Also a good one, I might say. And I did that in Tim Pool's house. <laughs> and, and I just did it in like 10 seconds. I was like, I got to fire something back because this dude's killing me. And I ratio him on the quote tweet and he loses his mind. Absolutely loses his mind. And I was like, I'm going to let this go because I've got a bunch of mutual friends. Um, and I like, I don't really have a lot of hate for this guy. I just like, I just brought him up as an example. So I'm going to let it go. And he starts to bring up the Eliza Blue Thaddeus Russell clips, which I've already explained to you guys in detail um, a couple weeks ago. And, but he brings up the like the worst possible out of context clip and he cuts it and it's just me talking. Just me. And like he's so now the hit piece that was created for Eliza has now been cultivated to go after Clint Russell. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, why is this guy doing this? And and he and he posts it like five times. Like he just keeps posting it. And for those that aren't familiar, Jack Pasovic has two million followers on Twitter. So I'm like, this is bad. So the first time he does it, I just I, I respond with you know, my little clip where I say like what I would do to pedos, <laughs> which is very graphic. Um, and I say, Hey man, this is pretty low of you, but like, if you'd like to make amends, I'd appreciate it if you would retweet this. Cause I'd like, I don't want people out there just all thinking I'm some, you know, sicko. Uh, Cause it's like the worst possible thing you could be. And I'm not that. So like, Hey, could you correct the record? Cause like you are a hawk on China and I'm not what you're framing me as. So I'd appreciate it if you correct the record. Let's like squash this thing. Let's chill out. And he posted again. And he posted again. And he posted again. And he posted again. And he's doing this like for over a day. He's just going ballistic to his two million. Let me emphasize two million followers. And I'm like, well, this can't go unaddressed. Like, I didn't want this, but I have to say something now because he's got so many people that follow him. They're going to think that I'm some fucking lunatic. So I create this thread, very short, where I demolish him for being a warhawk and simultaneously, you know, espousing how much of a Ron Paulite he is and, a, you know, non-interventionist non fan that he is. And he's not. He's a fucking fraud. On that, in that regard, he is a fucking fraud. So I just destroy him. And this, my thread goes super viral. It gets over half a million impressions. and. A lot of people, by the way, a lot of big people that you would not expect uh, DM me saying, you know, thank you. I've hated his use of the Ron Paul um, wing of the political arena. And it was, it, someone had to do it. So thank you for doing it. And I was like, oh, well, all right. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that anybody was waiting for this to happen. I was just trying to fucking defend myself. Um and then I block Poso, and then he fucking loses his mind again, and he keeps posting it, and he keeps posting it. I'm not going to... I'm done. I'm done. He's blocked. I'm done. I just wanted to give you guys the rundown of how the, the inside track of how that all happened. Um, I really don't dislike the guy. I had been following him for years. I, like He's a good news aggregator. That's all he really is to me, but um, I enjoyed following him, and I didn't have any beef with the guy. I just didn't really like it when he would bring up Ron Paul in one breath and then be like, release the b-52 bombers because <laughs> there's a weather balloon over idaho <laughs> it's like what the fuck do you did you i mean you may like ron paul but did you listen to what he had to say 
because that ain't some shit that Ron Paul would say, brother. Um, so, but I was okay with it, just letting him do that. I'm used to conservatives sucking on, you know, like saying that Ron Paul's good and then sucking on geopolitics. Like that's not unusual for me. I'm very accustomed to it. So I was like, I'm never gonna fucking have a, you know, have a showdown with you over this. But he, man, he wanted it, so I brought it and by some miracle of God with my 72,000 followers, I was able to, I think pretty much demolish the guy, which is very surprising because the dude with 2 million followers, I would have thought I was fucked. <laughs> like I thought I was totally toast. Um, so thank you to you guys for sharing the, uh, the thread and, you know, allowing people to know that I'm not what he was portraying me as, but he is what I was portraying him as. And that's how it should be. Because that was the truth on both sides. <sighs> Life is so strange. Life is so strange. You guys realize I was running a mortgage company three years ago, and now I'm like in this like internecine, I think that's how you pronounce it, war with Jack Posobiec, who's one of the biggest influencers on Twitter. And I'm winning it somehow. What the fuck? Life is weird. But you guys made this happen for me. So thank you, I guess. <laughs> It's such a strange life. Um, Dave invited me back on, so I'll probably be on uh, part of the problem again here soon. And uh, lots of big things coming up. So stay tuned. If you'd like to uh, support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. And while you're here, if you could hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and then leave a comment to help boost the algorithms, I'd very much appreciate it. And then beyond that, if you could just share it with your friends, family, loved ones, let them know that there is a lone voice in the wilderness attempting to tell you the truth. Appreciate you. We're out of here. Peace. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?